0: Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.Church, every life made different. Hey, we are. Continuing our series, actually finishing up our series in the book of Romans this weekend. And like I said, we'll come back to it in the fall. Um, But we're finishing up chapter eight today. And if you missed last weekend, uh, I was away. I was in California uh, preaching to the pagans. And uh, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I will tell you, though, I had a few paper straws while I was out there. And I knew this is not God's country at all because I got to drink a paper straw. So, uh, anyway. I had a great time last weekend at a friend's church preaching for them and just helping their team. Um, and, and I just wanna say thank you for the opportunity I have to be able to get away and represent the Summit Church and help build the kingdom with churches. Because I'm not going to preach at gigantic churches, I'm going to preach at churches who they need help and we're in a relationship together and we're working with them and helping them and helping build the kingdom. So I just wanna say thanks for that. But while I was away, Pastor Steph preaching, she did such a wonderful job, uh, really, really good job. So if you missed it, you can go back and listen or watch um, and and, and we'll pick up right where she left off. But the book of Romans um, is really important. It's a a letter written to a divided church, the church at Rome. And and Paul is trying to bring unity to this divided group. They were divided along ethnic lines and worship lines and preferences and all these different things that divided them. And Paul was trying to help them see what their common ground was so that they could put their differences aside and move forward and move the kingdom forward. Uh, One of the major themes we see throughout, and if you've been around, you've heard this more than once now, uh, the, the major theme that we're talking about throughout the book of Romans is that God judges sin, but he manifests mercy through Jesus. So our God is righteous and he is holy and he has to judge sin because that's who he is. But he also in his graciousness and his benevolence, he manifests mercy to us through the form of Jesus Christ, who he is for us. Um, What we see in the first eight books, uh, eight chapters, I'm sorry, of the book of Romans, is that um, God is revealing himself through his righteousness, who he is, that he is a righteous God, and that his righteousness paves the way for us to live differently. Um, and it is not revolved around church attendance. It revolves around deep affection for Jesus Christ. That when we understand how God loves us, then it will transform, fundamentally transform the way we live. It'll make us different. Uh, and so this is what happens. This is what, what God does. And like I said, he, he works through his righteousness. And our working definition for righteousness during this series has been this, that God always does what is right or good. And he is faithful to keep all of his promises. And if he has said it, it is a promise. He doesn't have to promise. If he said it by default, it is a promise. So God is faithful. He is good all the time, no matter what. Now, last weekend, uh, Pastor Steph finished with verse 17 of Romans chapter eight. And she, she kind of finished with this idea that, that we are adopted into the family of God, that we have sonship or daughtership in God because of the work of Christ on the cross that we've been adopted in. So no matter if we are Greek or Jew, we are both adopted in, Gentile or Jew, we're adopted into this family. And because of that, we have great joy, there's peace, there's all kinds of benefits that come with being a child of God. But the verse she left off on uh, last week was verse 17, and it says, since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, uh, we are together with Christ we are heirs of God's glory. And then this last sentence is important. But if we're to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Don't you wish he would've just left that part off? Like, wait, no, 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 just stick with the first part. We share with his glory, right? Like, woo, we can get excited about that. But Paul, Paul says, listen, but if we're gonna share with his glory, we, we have to share with his suffering. And as Americans, we struggle suffering. We don't suffer very well because we think it is our God-given right as Americans to be comfortable all the time. That if we aren't comfortable, something must be wrong, and maybe God got it wrong, and maybe my life is wrong, maybe my marriage is wrong because I'm uncomfortable. But the reality is God wants to make us uncomfortable because being uncomfortable, that's where transformation happens. See, when we stay comfortable, change doesn't happen. And God doesn't want us to have a status quo, static heart and life. He wants to transform us. And the way he transforms us many times is through pain. See, aren't you glad you came to church this Father's Day weekend? You're like, oh, I'm so glad I get to hear a message about suffering. So verse 18 says this, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. He says, yes, we have to share in his suffering, but there's good news. The good news is the the suffering we endure on planet Earth, the suffering we endure for the cause of Christ, the suffering we go through in this life because of the fall of man is nothing compared to the glory that awaits us in heaven. And he's trying to help them understand, if you could just get a glimpse of what heaven will be like, earth won't be so miserable because we have something to look forward to. We have something to anticipate, to hope for. He goes on to say this, for all creation is waiting eagerly. Creation isn't just waiting, it's waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Some translations say for the, the children of God, the sons of God to manifest. It goes on to say, against its will, against the will of creation, all creation was subjected to God's curse because of the fall of man. Adam made a decision, he rebelled against God and and the earth, creation was cursed. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. So, So what Paul is saying is, sin is not just a personal issue. See, we think sin is just an issue for me. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get this under control and I need to conquer this because it's me. And, and a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the, the, the fact that our sin, it, it infects the people around us. It impacts the people around us. It's not just a personal thing. And what Paul is implying here is that sin not just personal sin but there's a greater sin that has infected the world and creation is longing for the reconciliation that comes through Christ Jesus that creation it's it is eagerly anticipating it's groaning is what it says for this time to come when the sons of God will be manifest, when the sons and daughters of God will occupy the places that God has called them to, will walk in the purposes and plans that God has for them. Creation is waiting for you to catch a glimpse of the love of God for your life and let it transform you. Because there's so much more for us than just attending church on a weekend. God's got more for us than that. And all of creation is longing for you and I to step into our roles, to step into our places as the sons and daughters of God. See, this is a much bigger issue than what we can understand. And I would say this, I don't think we can understand the joy of God's love without the proper understanding of the problem of sin. I was talking to my friend Jared this last week in California and and we were talking about this idea of, of grace versus um, the law, basically. And that there are, there's this bent among a lot of churches to go grace, 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 which is awesome. I believe wholeheartedly in the grace of God, yes? Okay, like eight people here said that, I'm sure. I'm sure the online audience were amen and me like a bunch of Pentecostals, okay. So, so I'm grateful for the grace of God. But if all we do is talk about the grace of God, we can't appreciate the grace of God. Because if we don't understand the magnitude of the sin issue that we carry, God's grace doesn't mean anything to us. Okay, great. Oh, I don't have to go to hell, awesome, awesome. But until we understand how big the sin problem was, not just for you and I, but collectively for humanity and for creation, that this was an issue that that fundamentally transformed creation. And when we begin to get a glimpse of how big sin is and how big a problem it is, that's when we can kind of begin to understand how good God's grace really is. Because if I don't think I'm that much of a sinner, if I think I kind of deserve to go to heaven anyway, God's grace is cheap and it is small. But if I understand the depth of my sin, how absent Christ, I deserved hell. That Christ willingly laid down his life for me. When I begin to see how big my my sin problem was, that's when I can begin to appreciate the grace of God. That's when I begin to appreciate the love of God. And the reason we don't is because I think sometimes we underestimate our sin problem but it's a problem that impacts the whole world. I reference this, but in verse 22, it says, for we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Groaning as in the pain of childbirth. Now, um, I am a man, say that unapologetically, been a man my whole life. Um, In the world we live in, sometimes that seems to be fluid. No fluidity here, I'm a man. Um, I was in the room when my wife gave birth to our girls and she, um, she sometimes my family gives me a hard time because when Abby was born, I was eating peanut M&M's. <laughs> it's like she had an epidural. She's doing great. She's just chilling, like laying there and I'm like, you okay? And she's like, yeah, I'm good. I'm like, all right, I might as well eat. I know she can't eat, but like, why should I suffer? So <laughs> I'm eating some peanut M&M's. And it was, a no, it was not a normal scene. Cause you know, if you watch the movies, the, Hollywood never lies to us, right? So if you watch the movies, like the woman is screaming in childbirth, you did this to me, right? Like, I hate you. <laughs> so sometimes that's what we think about. But, but for normal women who give birth um, without the aid of, of epidurals or drugs, they give birth naturally like my mom did. Um, 10 and 5 pounds, by the way, she's a champ. So she did not do that silently, I'm sure. She was not doing some cross stitch. She was, she was invested, right? There were probably some groans I would imagine during the childbirth when you're <laughs> giving birth to a 10 pound bag of potatoes, right? Like that's essentially what I was. There was some pain involved. And you would think as a man, the first time a human man saw that happen, that would be the end of childbirth, right? Like we're never gonna subject anybody to that ever again. Did you see the pain that came from that? Did Did you hear my wife? Like, no, thank you. Like no one should ever have to go through that again. So my mom had two kids, my older sister and then myself. She did it twice. Many of you have multiple children and I would say, why would you do that? And if you, if you were honest, you would say, I don't know. I wish I could go back and undo it, but no. <laughs> but you would probably say, the joy on the other side of the pain was worth it. The, the joy of having this child in my arms, knowing this child, bringing this child into my family is worth the pain, even when you get to be teenagers and the, there's more pain that happens, right? The joy is worth the pain. That's the trade-off. And this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, there is this pain on planet Earth. Kim and I were talking about this this week. And she said, do you think, do you think there's more brokenness in our world now than there was before? I said, maybe, I don't know. A lot of the things we deal with, Paul was dealing with in the first century. We just don't, get a sense of that, because we're feeling this, right? There's so much brokenness in our world. There's so much pain in our world. And I think if we don't have an eternal perspective, it's easy to go, well, what's the point? Has God abandoned us? Look at the, the craziness and the brokenness and all the things going on. God, do you even know what you're doing? But if we can have an eternal perspective and we can say, you know what? God's birthing something through this. And what Paul says is creation is groaning like in the the pains of childbirth. See, something is coming forth from this and we've got to believe that the the joy that we will have is worth the pain that we're currently experiencing. It might be heaven someday, but there's greater joy in front of us than this pain that we're currently experiencing in our world, the pain that you might be experiencing personally. And, And the pain that we're experiencing will pale in comparison to the joy that we will experience. This is what he's talking about. Yes, there is great pain, but there is great joy ahead of us. He goes on to say in verse 23, and when we believers also groan, remember he's talking about suffering, we also groan, we suffer. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from the sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us full rights as adopted children, including the new bodies he's promised us. He gave me my new body early. I don't, I don't even need a glorified body in heaven. This is perfect. Why, why mess with perfection, right? I don't appreciate how hard to of you're laughing at that one. That's kind of hurtful. He says, hey, someday, we're not gonna have pain. We're not gonna have suffering. We're not gonna have heartache. You're not gonna have to deal with it, but we do now. And and this is what he says. He says, if you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, then you've got a taste of that future joy. So let me just pause for a second. I wanna encourage you. Maybe you didn't grow up in a tradition that you talked about who the Holy Spirit was and what he does in your life. I promise you, you need the Holy Spirit in your life more than you recognize and realize. He will encourage you, he will empower you. There is so much that we leave on the table when we neglect who the Holy Spirit is and what he wants to do in us. So when we finish in a little bit, I wanna encourage you. The Holy Spirit is, is one of the ways we can navigate the pain and the brokenness of our world is by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We need it, it's necessary. It should not be optional for any believer. He goes on to say in verse 24. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. I wish that I would wait more patiently and confidently than I do at times. And the reason I don't and maybe the reason you don't is because sometimes I forget and I lose sight of how good God is and how big his promises are and how big his grace is compared to the the things we're going through, how big the joy that awaits us is in the light of the pain that we're dealing with currently. Verse 26, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. He helps us in our weakness. When we're weak, when we get to a place, when we go, I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if I can endure this. I don't know if I can go through this relationship turmoil. I don't know if I can go through this economic downturn. I don't know if I can, what am I gonna do? How am I gonna do it? Do I have enough? Do I have enough strength? Do I have enough money? Do I have enough hope? See, in our weakness, in our lack, that's where the Holy Spirit comes alongside us. He helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. And the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Oh, this is powerful. There's way too much here to talk about in the time we've got tonight. He says the Holy Spirit will pray for us with moans and utterances, with groans and utterances. Basically what he's saying is the Holy Spirit will pray through us if we'll let him. And there are different ways to look at this passage. This is a really notoriously difficult passage to interpret uh, from the Greek. But there are several ways to look at it. I believe that the Holy Spirit prays through us when we don't know what to pray. That the Holy Spirit will pray that we don't even know what we're praying but it comes into alignment with God's will. And I don't know about you, but there are times in my life where I will pray things and I'll, I'll kind of tag it with, but if it's your will, do something else, right? But what I really mean is God, I want this, whether it's your will or not. I would like you to do this, whether you want me to do that or not. And, and when we pray in the spirit, we're praying in ways we don't understand. And we go, okay, God, I just submit to your will. I'm gonna let the Holy Spirit pray through me and pray your will over this situation. Because God, you know better than I do. God, I'm gonna trust you that that maybe you're smarter than I am in this moment. This is one of the things the Holy Spirit helps us do. He goes on to say in verse 28, here's one that maybe you've got a coffee mug or a t-shirt or a bumper sticker and it says this. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So let me stop right here for a second. I want you to remember the the context of what we're talking about. We're, We're talking about suffering. And what Paul says is, all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, okay? So when you're suffering, God can work it for good. We have westernized this verse to mean if your day is going bad, God is gonna make your day good. Don't worry, you lost your job. God works all things together for good. He's gonna give you a better job. Oh, um, your, your, your family messed you over. They betrayed you. Don't you worry. God's gonna, right? You've lost, but God's gonna give you something better. And there's truth to that but it's not our better. We don't get to choose. Remember what we just said. When we don't know what to do, we we pray in the spirit and our will comes into alignment with God's will. See, and this is where we wanna take the will back and go, no, no, no. Now I'll decide what's good. And what we have to understand is when we're going through difficult seasons, when we're suffering, when we're hurting, this is where we go, okay, God, I trust you. I don't know how you're gonna work this out. And God, you don't even have to work it out the way I want for me to continue to love you. I'm gonna love you no matter what you do. And I'm gonna trust that whatever you do is the best thing for me. That's a hard one to pray. I've lost my job before. That's a hard prayer to pray when you've lost your job. That's a hard prayer to pray when it looks like your marriage is falling apart. That's a hard prayer to pray when you've written a check on your bank on your checking account and you're hoping it doesn't clear before. That's a hard prayer to pray. And this is what Paul tells the Romans. He says, all things work together for your good, for those who love him, who love God, and are called according to his purpose who say, God, I know what your purpose is for my life and I'm gonna live my life according to your purpose and not my purpose. This is the key. This is the formula. You ready? Ask yourself these questions. Do I love God? Do you love God, first and foremost? And that's an easy yes. All of us would go, oh, of course I love God. Then the second thing, are you living out God's purposes for your life? Are you living out God's purpose? Are you pursuing God's purpose for your life? not are you going to church on the weekend? Are you praying sometime? Are you trying to discern the purpose of God for your life and then actively pursuing that? If you're doing those two things, then God causes everything to work together for your good. Now, good is in quotations. Because what God would deem as good, you might not deem as good. I think we would all say that what Christ did for us was good, why we call it Good Friday. Good Friday wasn't good for Jesus, it was bad for Jesus, he was betrayed, he was abused, he was brutalized, beaten, he was humiliated, and, and he was murdered. That was good. See, the good we want God to do in our life probably produces intimacy with God. See, that, that pain draws us to God. And the good that we are promised is not that you're gonna win the lotto, it's not that you're gonna get the better job, maybe. But the good that we can anchor ourselves in is that we're gonna know God more intimately. That's the treasure that we're actually looking for. Remember, remember, if you love him and you're called according to his purposes, wouldn't you discover a new level of intimacy with God, something to be cherished in spite of pain and suffering? But yet for many of us, it's not because we're too focused on this life. We're too focused on right now. We don't appreciate the, the magnitude of Christ's suffering for us and what he's done for us. And because of that, we look at God's good and we don't call it good. Verse 29, for God knew his people in advance. He chose them to become like his sons. So that his son would be their firstborn, or the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. So we don't have time to get into this whole conversation. Um, there are churches and there are, there's doctrine that, uh, a, a doctrine called predestination. And, um, and I would say we as a church don't subscribe to that doctrine. We believe that God is sovereign. In his sovereignty, he allows human beings to have free will. Now, in his sovereignty, he knows who will choose to follow him and who will not. But he loves us enough to let us make the decision. Um, and so... Because of that, uh, this has almost become proof text many times for people who believe in predestination. And you might be saying, what difference does it make? I, I just want to help you understand um, this because it impacts to me how I view God. Um, so, so let me explain this. Um, there are some translations that say, foreknew, um, for God knew his people in advance, that he foreknew. And when he talks about knowing, he talks about it in the typical kind of Jewish sense that he didn't just know about someone, he knew them intimately. So there was a group of people that God foreknew that, that were saved. So let me again put this into context. In Romans chapter 11, we'll get to that, just wait. You'll have to wait a little bit. In Romans chapter 11, he, Paul talks about God foreknowing and foreloving the Jewish people. Now, think about this in context. If God foreknew them, he's talking about a class or a group of people. He's not talking about um, they are, they're all saved because there are people in that group that were not. There were people in that group that chose to walk away from God, chose not to have a relationship with God. So just because they were Jewish doesn't mean they're automatically in relationship with God. But they're in a class of people, a group of people that God said, my special blessing is on this group. Now bring this back into context in Romans chapter eight. In Romans chapter eight, he's talking about people who would walk in covenant with God. This is a special group. God knows who it's going to be. He he doesn't make us follow him. He gives us free will but he knows who we are. He knows the people who are gonna say, I'm gonna walk in covenant relationship with you. And so he is not predestining because if God predestined people to heaven, he would also by default predestine people to hell. And I don't believe a loving God would create people to doom them for eternity in hell. So what we see is this idea that that you are special, that you are unique. God knew who you were from the beginning of time. In fact, what it indicates is that he didn't approve of you after you became a Christian. He loved you before you were born. Since the beginning of time, God knew who you were and he has loved you. He's been in pursuit of you so that you could know him and be in a relationship with him. If you wanna talk more about... um. Predestination, We can get into that sometime. Um, but just understand this. Because we have chosen and I've chosen to walk in covenant relationship with God, I am part of the chosen people. If you choose to walk in covenant relationship with God, then you are part of this class or group of people. Just like the Jews in Romans chapter 11. It's the same kind of idea that there's a group that God knew. Let me move on. Verse 31 What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? He says, in light of everything we've just been talking about, in light of the fact that we're adopted into Christ, that that into God through Christ Jesus, in light of the fact that, that we can endure suffering in this world because of the love of God and because of the joy that waits us on the other side of our suffering. There there is so much good here that he's laying out in this new way of life. And he says, how can we even describe how good this stuff really is, what it really means? And then he asks this question, God is for us, who can ever be against us? God's on our side. How could we ever be defeated? And that's a great question. Then my question comes back to you, but are you on God's side? Are, are you walking with Christ? Are you in a relationship with him? Because it's not about God submitting to us and conforming to us, it's about us being conformed to him and us being transformed into his likeness. And if we're not, if we're obstinate and unwilling, then God's not gonna move. It goes on to say in Verse 32 since he did not spare even his own son. So again, think about the context. He says, what can we say about such wonderful things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Since he did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for all, won't he also give us everything else? Let me stop there. If God was willing to let his son go to the cross for you and I, do you think he's gonna withhold peace in your life? or grace, or joy, or the things you actually need? Absolutely not. He won't. He has a supply of everything you need, and he will not hold back if you'll simply trust him, if you'll simply submit to him, if you'll simply believe that he is who he says he is. He goes on to say in verse 33, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who will condemn us? No one for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us and he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Other translations say making intercession. Did you know that the Holy Spirit prays for you? Did you know that Jesus prays for you? That's what it says in Romans 8. It says right there that, that Jesus, he's seated at the right hand of God and he is petitioning God for you right now. He's saying, God, let me, let me tell you, let me tell you about my brother. Let me tell you about my sister. Let me tell you about what they're going through. Holy Spirit is praying for you constantly. We've got people on our side that we can't even begin to fathom. If God is for us, who can be against us? Let me ask this question. I love this question. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? He's saying, let let me try to describe how big Christ's love is. Is there anything that can separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? This is a rhetorical question. The answer is no. And what he's saying is, it's easy to understand the love of God when your life is good, but will you have enough perspective to see how big the love of Christ is for you when things are bad? When he's working all things together for good, but his good is different than your good? Or is your view of God's affection for you based on your circumstances? Well, God must love me. He approves of me because my life is good right now. Everything's good. My family's good. Um, I'm not having any problems at work. I've got some money in the bank. God's good. What about when your family's not healthy? When there's dysfunction? When you lose your job, when there's not money in the bank, is God still good? He's the same. He has not changed. His love for you has not changed. (laughs) When Emma was little, I used to have to reassure her over and over and over again that I loved her when I would correct her. And I would have to help her understand, no, no, no. My affection for you is not contingent on your behavior. I love you even when I correct you. That's how you know I love you, is because I correct you. But she struggled with this idea. Daddy, if you love me, I wouldn't feel this way, right? And we do the same thing with God. We go, well, God, why would I feel this way if you love me? And we're a world that is dominated by our feelings. We're dominated by what we feel and not what we know. And Paul's trying to help the church know something and not just feel something. He's trying to help them understand how big Christ's love is for them, how, how big his mercy is, how big a, res- a reservation of grace that he has for them in spite of the sin in our lives. Because we don't always feel it I did a a wedding this afternoon. And one of the things I, I told the couple is I said, hey, you're making a covenant today. And a covenant's not based on feelings, covenant is based on a decision. Because there's gonna be some days you don't feel like loving your wife sacrificially. And there are gonna be some days you do not feel like submitting to your husband. So you've gotta decide today, I'm making a covenant. This is a decision I'm making, not based on feelings or emotions, but it's a decision I'm making in the presence of God. I'm making this covenant with God and with my spouse. And our relationship with God has to be so much more than a feeling. Because if it's only a feeling, we're gonna get swept away. If it's simply based on how I feel when I walk out of the church, how do I feel during worship? Do I get the goosebumps? Are things going well in my life? Are things bad? And that's our judge on how good God is. But what if we knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was good? Remember what we said, he is righteous. Everything he does is right or good. And he is faithful to keep his promises. What if we could anchor ourselves in that knowledge and say, God, I know you're good in spite of what I see, in spite of what I feel. So God, if things aren't good, I know that you're still loving. I know that you're still good. See, our world bases their life on how they feel. Well, I feel this way. So this is my reality. This is my truth. And what they're really saying is this is how I feel. We in the church cannot live our lives based on how we feel. It has to be based on what we know. He goes on to say this. Verse 36, he quotes Psalm. He says, the scripture says, for your sake, we are killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. This is our lives. This is what we signed up for. Then he says this, no, no, no. Despite all these things, despite the suffering, despite the loss, despite the heartache, despite the pain, despite the, the fear, despite the anxiety, all this stuff that comes our way, despite the feelings. He says, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Some translations, you maybe grew up hearing this translation, we are more than conquerors. He says, overwhelming victory is ours. Why? Because because of who's on our side. Christ is for us. Who could be against us? We have to know it. It can't be based on a feeling and maybe right now you're feeling good. You're like, yeah, if God is for us, who can be against us? But are you gonna feel that way on Monday when you go into the office and your boss is breathing down your neck? Are you gonna feel that way on on Tuesday when you're paying bills and you're not sure how you're gonna make all your bills? The feelings start to creep in. It has to be based on what we know and what Paul is saying is this is what we know. We are more than conquerors. Christ, who loves us, is for us. And his love is bigger than what we can fathom and understand. And then he finishes chapter eight with this this idea. He says, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. (laughs) Nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Nothing can separate you from God's love. God loves you more than you can fathom. Both of my girls were little. I'd say, I love you. I love you more. I'd go, oh no, no. There's zero chance you love me more than I love you because you have no idea how much I love you. A parent's love for a child, the child doesn't get it until the child becomes the parent. Then the the light bulb goes on and the child, oh, this is what my parents were talking about. We can't fathom how we are loved by our heavenly father. It's impossible. But what Paul's trying to help us do is just get a glimpse, get a little understanding, because that's what will transform us. And so Paul says this, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death, or life or angels or demons neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow not even the power of hell can separate us from God's love no power in the sky above or in the earth below indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord there is nothing that can cause God not to love you We're we're his chosen people. When we choose to walk in covenant with him, we're his people. We are his sons, we're his daughters. His love for us is so big, it's beyond measure. And Paul has no way to adequately describe with words to the Roman church how much they're loved he's struggling and this is what the holy spirit leads him to write that there is nothing and he describes the far reaches of imagination nothing that can separate us from god's love there's one thing that can separate us from covenant and that's you You can. You can opt out. You can say, no, thank you, I'm good. I'm gonna live my life on my own. I'm gonna live my life based on my feelings. I'm gonna live my life based on what I want, according to my will, to please myself. That's how I'm gonna live my life. And you can choose to do that. It will break God's heart because he loves you. The power of hell can't wrench you from the love of God. But you can walk away from God. You can say no to him. See, there's nothing else we could describe in this world that has this power. I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from our house. That's pretty easy. The bank can separate you from your house. I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from our job. Nope, bad economy can do that. I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from our spouse. Fortunately, that happens. See, everything we have in this world that we value so highly, we can lose to circumstances and situations in our life. The one thing we cannot lose is the one thing we devalue so many times and that's our relationship with God. Nothing can separate you from God's love. So don't walk away. Don't ignore what he's trying to tell you, what he's trying to show you. We cannot understand the joy of God's love without a proper understanding of the problem of sin. And that's where I want you to get. I want you to understand that we all need a savior. We're all sinners. And not just in some clinical kind of way, in a very real way. That we need a savior and it's not just about somebody rescuing us, it's about somebody saving us, giving us life. Experiencing the love of God and the fullness of God because that's what we're being invited into. And Paul, he couldn't even describe it, how good it is to be loved by God and to know God. That's the joy of walking with Jesus. Not just about heaven and hell, it's about life. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us so much. And thank you just like like my girls could never understand and maybe will never understand how much I love them. Thank you, God, that that's just a, a glimpse for us, how far far short our understanding is of your love. We, We can't fathom it. We can't begin to wrap our brains around how much you love us and how good you are. God, I repent of the times that I've let my feelings dominate me, that I've let my feelings dictate my belief and my behavior, and I repent of that in the name of Jesus. From this day forward, God, I pray that each and every one of us in this place, each person watching online, our hearts would be firmly anchored in what we know about who you are, that you are good, that everything you do is right, and you are faithful to keep your promises. So no matter what is going on around us in our world, in our lives, no matter what the highs or lows may bring, I pray that we would suffer well because we anchor ourselves in the knowledge of who God is, that he is good and he is faithful. And that our our highest achievement is just knowing you. So God, help us us not settle for lesser gods, things that won't satisfy, but help us find our our, our supreme delight in you and you alone. God, have your way with us over these next few moments. Be glorified in the time we've got. Now, with nobody looking around, if you'd say to me, Mel, Mel, I recognize today I'm not really walking with God. Maybe you've had a religious experience. Maybe you've been to church a hundred times. Maybe you've never been to church, but you recognize that you're not walking with God. You don't know the joy of salvation. You don't know the love of God. you say today, I wanna know that. I wanna experience that. I recognize I need my life to look differently than it does right now. If that's you, I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna make a spectacle of you, I'm just gonna pray with you. And if you wanna be included in that prayer, would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high where I can see it? If you say, Mel, include me in that prayer, pray for me. I wanna know the fullness of God. I wanna know how much he loves me. I wanna walk in that. All right. Maybe you're here and you say, Mel, I'm a believer, I'm going to heaven. But I recognize the fact that um, that my life needs to shift and the reason, the way my life will shift is by understanding the depth of God's love for me a little better. And I, I need the Holy Spirit to help me with that. Yeah, I'm not gonna point you out, I just wanna pray with you. If you'd say, Mel, I need the Holy Spirit to help me understand God's love. I need it to shift my heart so I don't just, I don't wanna be just a good person, a moral person, a person who goes to church, I want my heart to be changed. If that's you, slip your hand up real high where I can see it and you can put it right back down. Yeah. Thanks, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Yeah, thank you. All over the place, lots of hands. Thank you. Heavenly Father, I pray for each person that raised their hand and responded. I pray that, God, you'd minister in their lives. I pray that their eyes would be opened. I pray that just like when a light gets turned on in a dark room, God, I pray that you would illuminate your love to us that way. I pray that our eyes would be opened to how you love us and what you've done for us and the lengths you would go to just to know us. Help us to see that. I pray that that would give us a glimpse of your love. And as we see that, God, let it change us, let it transform us. Help us to love others better. Help us to love people the way you do. God, I pray your Holy Spirit would encourage us in our suffering, in our loss, in our heartache. And I pray ultimately we would see how good you are because the Holy Spirit encourages us in that. Lord, I pray you'd minister in us. God, I pray your blessing on those that responded and said they wanna be transformed. They need a, a glimpse of your love. Holy Spirit, do the work in them that I can't do. Minister in this place, be glorified through us. I pray that we as a church would begin to, to recognize and value your love like never before. And I pray as we do, it would transform our community. It would transform our region. It would transform this world, God. God, have your way with us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Hey, Kendall's gonna lead us in one final song. While we're singing this last song, some of our prayer team, some of our staff is gonna be here at the front of this room. And I would encourage you, um, if you've come in here with, Anything at all in your heart, heaviness of any kind, difficulty, challenges, whatever it is, I wanna encourage you, find one of our team and let them pray with you before you go. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier, Holy Spirit, maybe you're here and you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit. This would be a great time to say, okay, God, I want all of you that I can get. I wanna go to the next level of my relationship with you. And the way to do that is by inviting the Holy Spirit to fill you. And our team is prepared. They're gonna pray with you. If that's something you would like, we would be honored to pray with you about that. And if you'd like more information about that, we've got a brochure at our info center here at the front as well on either side of the stage. If you'd like more information about who the Holy Spirit is and how he works in our lives, we'd be delighted to talk to you about that and pray with you about that as well. Why don't you stand your feet all over the room. We're gonna worship together one more time before we go. Guys, I love you more than you know. I am so glad that I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys and have a happy Father's Day.